Hi, and welcome to this first introduction of my very first podcast. And I hope I'm gonna be able to use this up because I've never done a podcast in my life. And it's actually pretty exciting and I hope it's gonna be nice. Anyway, hi again, I'm David Gadiaga and I'm 18 years old and in less than a week I'm gonna be 19 and yeah I'm so worried and I don't even know I'm fe- I feel so old but the, the, yeah we're not talking about me but we're talking about this podcast and I hope you're gonna find it interesting it's gonna be about uh, the Erasmus and the Erasmus Brass project and the consequences of the Brexit on this project and we're, talk, uh, we're gonna talk quite a lot about the history and the objectives of the Erasmus project, a little bit about travels and students in the UK, and about our favorite, our favorite minister in the world, Boris Johnson. Yeah, we all love this man so much because he did so many smart things, not just for the UK, but even for students all across Europe and the world. Yeah, we love him so much. Anyway, I hope I got, you're gonna find this uh, um, this podcast extremely interesting and uh, thank you very much for listening and we're gonna see you again from, uh, for the first episode when we're going to talk about the objectives and the history of the Erasmus project. Bye! Welcome to the very first episode of my very personal podcast about Erasmus and the consequences of Brexit on it. The sun today is so amazing and I'd love to go out so much. It's so warm, but yeah, I'm stuck here at home because of coronavirus and I even cannot go out for a walk. My dog is just too sleepy and I cannot use it as an excuse to go out because she just wants to sleep. <sighs> yeah, but you're lucky because I'm gonna have a little bit of time for you to listen to this amazing podcast. So, as I told you, today we are just talking a little bit about what is the, the Erasmus project, its history and the objectives. Yeah, it's gonna be extremely interesting as well. So, the Erasmus project is the European Union program for education, training, youth, and sport. It runs for several years, with organizations invited to apply for funding each year for life changing activities. The Erasmus aims to modernize education, training, and youth work across Europe. It is open to education, training, etc. all across sectors for lifelong learning, including school education, further and higher education, adult education, and the youth sector. So through the Erasmus project, young people can study, volunteer, and gain work experience abroad. They can develop new skills, gain vital international experience, and boost their employability. Staff can teach or train abroad to develop their professional practice, build relationships with internal peers, and gain fresh ideas. 
Organization can collaborate with international partners to drive innovation, share practice and offer new opportunities to young people. So the general objective of the program is, is to support the young and older people in, the, in Europe and beyond, thereby contributing to sustainable growth, quality jobs and social cohesion, to driving innovation and to strengthening European identity and active citizenship. As such, the program shall be a key instrument for building a European education area, supporting the implementation of the European strategic cooperation in the field of education and training, with its underlying sectoral agendas advancing youth policy cooperation under the Union Youth Strategy 2019-2027 and developing the European dimension in sport. Yeah. So now we know a little bit more about the objectives, the aims, and what actually the Erasmus project tries to achieve. However, how did it burn? Many people still do not know the history of the Erasmus project. And shortly, I'm gonna try to explain this to you. It's not that hard actually to understand. So, in 1987, the European Commission started funding a mobility program for European students. This program, named Erasmus, after the cosmopolitan scholar, was the culmination of the European partners' political will to, co- uh, will to cooperate and also the starting point for the harmonization of the European space for higher education. In the construction of Europe, the Europe of knowledge and learning has often lagged behind. Yet in 1955, it was decided that an intergovernmental institute for research and training should be created. However, it would take more than 20 years to see this hope fulfilled by the inauguration in 1976 of the European University Institute of Florence. Success lay ahead by university cooperation was limited to graduate students, doctoral students and a few dozen professors. Europe wished to develop a wider process and to target a more varied audience. In 1986, Europe launched the COMET program of cooperation between universities and companies. Finally, in 1987, the Europe of education became reality, although it was still fragile and patchy. When the Erasmus program was launched in 1986, only 3,000 students from all over the Europe community went to study in our university of one of its 12 member states. They were pioneers and enthusiasms for the program soon became widespread. In 1992, 80,000 students had benefited from the program, and 10 years into it, 400,000 had taken advantage of the grants allocated by the Commission. But these figures are, st- but these figures are still well below the target set in 1987 of mobility for 10% of students moving among universities in Europe. In 2002, the French director 
I hope I'm gonna pronounce it right, Cedric, Cedric Klebisch, sorry, developed this almost mythical dimension of the experience in a movie. Lauberge Espanol, a widely acclaimed Franco-Spanish production, focuses on Xavier, a French student on an Erasmus exchange in Barcelona, where he shares a flat with students from all over Europe. This saga highlights the changes and cultural shock that are also part of the Erasmus experience. The European Union's volunteerist policy, which permits a sharp development of the mobility of European students, has also been the butt of criticism. In practice, students have faced many obstacles. Red tape, a striking lack of accommodation in the host universities, lack of information, welcomes that left much to be desired, differences between schools' shadows, difficulties in validating credits obtained, and insufficient grants. During the 1990s, a few studies, uh, studies pointed out these weaknesses, also with the gaps and risks entailed by the Erasmus program. The, the program seemed in danger of becoming an exchange program of, for wealthy students. Aware that the public images was all, were also at stake, the universities started making considerable efforts to improve their implementation of Erasmus. A specific logistics for Erasmus students was implemented in, uni in each university. Student mobility also became a local or regional political issue. Further subsidies were allocated by territorial and regional authorities. National grants and supplementary grants offered by local powers complemented the European Community Grants. However, that in the intentional reputation of local university could become an asset, towns or regions implemented specific and very public policies to improve the images of their educational institutions. They pampered the incoming students, offering them local tours, language classes, and even gourmet tasting sessions. A far cry from a nominee of the major universities that welcome thousands of Erasmus students each year. All countries actively joined the Erasmus project. Germany and France had the list, and then Spain and Italy, which also attract many students, follow. The United Kingdom participation in the program, however, is deeply unbalanced. It welcomes many students, but exports far fewer. The English-speaking or English-teaching universities are sought after by European students, which has increasingly led these institutions to restrict access. In 2006, 2,000 higher education institutes in 31 countries, 25 European Union's member states, three countries belonging to, belonging to the European Economic Area, and three candidates, Bulgaria, Romania and Turkey, are part of the Erasmus program. Since its creating, 1.2 million students have benefited from studying abroad. In 2004, the Erasmus budget added up to 187,000 um, million euros. On January 2004, Erasmus opened up to the world with the launch of Erasmus Mundus. 
these cooperation and mobility programs aim to, aims to improve the quality of our European higher education through collaboration with new countries. Erasmus supporting high-quality graduate degrees and welcoming students' research. It has estimated budget of 26.2 billion euros. This is nearly double the funding compared to its predecessor program. So this has been just a little bit of introduction of its history and the objectives of the Erasmus project. In the next episode, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the differences between the Erasmus project and the newly Erasmus Plus project. And it's gonna be so interesting because yeah, there's gonna be something new that probably you don't know and I hope you're gonna learn something new from this podcast. So this is it for today. I hope you're gonna have a nice day and nice holidays. Easter is gonna be very is a very important time of our lives and we have to actually celebrate it with the, the people that are important to us. Yeah, I think that these holidays are gonna be nice and I hope that the next holidays we're gonna be able to celebrate them outside and not again inside in our houses. So thank you very much for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye! everyone and welcome to this third episode of my very personal podcast about Erasmus, the Erasmus Plus project and the consequences of Brexit on the Erasmus project. I hope you're having a nice day and nice holidays. I'm knackered really, today I had training and it was just exhausting, we did like more than 5k's and I'm, I'm done for today, but I still have enough energies to do this podcast for you because I'm, I'm hoping that you're gonna find this interesting. So, today we're just talking a few minutes, it's just not extremely important, but it's a, a little bit of curiosity about the differences between the Erasmus and Erasmus Plus project because many times people just confuse them and probably people do not, do not even know that there are two different types of. Erasmus and that's why I'm here to tell you all about this amazing stuff because in this way maybe one day you're gonna find it useful maybe in a talk show you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna appear more smart so let's just dig in so obviously first of all as I mentioned in the in the podcast before, the Erasmus Plus program includes all the mobility programs of the European Union, which are seven, among which the Leonardo da Vinci, Comnes and Erasmus Mundus project stand out. In addition to this, Erasmus Plus provides for a number of novelties compared to Erasmus. First of all, it is not only aimed at university at students, but, it, but at all students in general between the age of 13 to 30. In addition, this program provides for a budget of 14.7 billion euros, or a budget of 40% greater than the previous one. The Erasmus Plus program, therefore, involves all levels of education, from school to higher education up to vocational training and adult learning. 
In addition to education, for the first time, such a program also involves sports. Another novelty introduced with the Erasmus Plus program is that concerning the requirements for access to it, and in particular language knowledge. The minimum language level is B2, and in some cases for English area destinations, C1. On the basis of the Common European Framework of Reference for Language, level B2 is considered to be an advanced linguistic competence that allows to understand the main ideas of complex texts on subjects of both abstract and concrete nature, and to easily relate to native speaker. So these are actually just the main differences between the Erasmus and the Erasmus Plus project. As I said, this uh, would have been uh, a short episode because yeah, there's not much to say and uh, it's just a little bit of curiosity in order to understand even better the later podcast about the, more, the most important part and probably the most interesting. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping again that you're gonna have nice holidays and uh, not like me so rest because it's important to rest and not training every single day of your life and uh, i hope you're gonna listen to all the podcasts and see you soon for the next episode when we're gonna talk a little bit more in detail of what is the brexit and finally we arrived at talking about our favorite guy in the world boris johnson Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about him and how amazing he is. So thank you again and see you soon. Hello everyone and welcome to my very personal podcast about Erasmus and the consequences of Brexit on the Erasmus project. Today we're gonna talk about a very very interesting topic and this topic is Boris Johnson. Yeah, today we're gonna talk a little bit about his biography obviously and we're, go- we're not gonna go extremely in detail because we're not here to talk about politics but it's necessary to talk about politics in order to understand a little bit better the context of the Brexit. And obviously we're gonna just say a few other names on the way because yeah, we need to know the people that led to the Brexit and the consequences later on. So I know uh, that everyone loves him, so let's just dig in. So, Alexander Boris de Pfeffel Johnson, I literally do not know how to read it and I just using the same pronunciation as Google Translate and I'm gonna go with it because I love it. So, he is a British politician and also a writer serving as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and the leader of the Conservative Party since July 2019. He was also Secretary of State for Foreign and Commonwealth Affairs between 2016 and 2018 and Mayor of London from 2008 to 2016. Johnson has been Member of Parliament for Uxbridge and South Ruislip since 2015 
and he was a member of parliament for Henley from 2001 to 2008. He has been described as, as adhering to the ideology of one nation and national conservatism. Conservatism. And yeah, we can say it. Oh, anyway, Johnson was educated at Elton Eton College and studied classics at Bellion College, Oxford. He was elected president of the Oxford Union in, 2086, in 1986. In 1989, he became the Brussels correspondent and later political columnist for the Daily Telegraph, where his article entertained a strong aerosceptic influence on the British right. He was the editor of the Spectre magazine from 1999 to 2005. After being elected to Parliament in 2001, Johnson was a shadow minister under Conservative leader Michael Howard and David Cameron. In 2008, he was elected Mayor of London and resigned from the House of Commons. He was re-elected as Mayor in 2012. During his mayoralty, Johnson oversaw the 2012 Summer Olympics and the Cycle Hire Scheme both initiated by his predecessors, along with introducing the new Routemaster, buses and the Thames cable car, and promoting the Garden Bridge, and also banned alcohol consumption on much of London's public transport. In 2015, Johnson was elected MP for Axbridge and South Ruislip. He stepped down as mayor the following year, during which he became a prominent figure in the successful Vote Leave campaign for Brexit in the 2016 EU membership referendum. And yeah, talking a little bit about the EU 2016 membership referendum, obviously uh, referred usually as EU referendum Brexit, took place the uh, 23rd June 2016 in the UK and the result would then be facilitated through the European Union Referendum Act 2015 and also the Political Parties Election and Referendum Act 2000. So the succeeding government, led by Theresa May at that time, initiated the official withdrawal process on March, on the 29th of March 2017. So yeah, this is where all began. But yeah. Uh, going back to um, Boris Johnson, he was appointed Foreign Secretary by Theresa May after the referendum. He resigned the position two years later in protest, uh, in protest at May's approach to Brexit and the Chequers Agreement. Yeah, talking a little bit about the Chequers Agreement is offic- officially known as the, the future relationship between uh, the United Kingdom and the European Union was a UK government white paper concerning Brexit published on the 12th July 2018 by the Prime Minister Theresa May. The paper was based on a three-page cabinet agreement from the 6th of July and laid out the type of future relationship between the UK and the European Union that the UK sought to achieve in the Brexit negotiation. So as I said, Obviously, Boris Johnson was against the, any agreement between the EUK uh, leaving the European Union and the European Union. After May resigned in 2019, he was elected Conservative leader and appointed Prime Minister. 
in its September 2019 uh, prorogation of Parliament was ruled unlawful by the Supreme Court. In the 2019 election, Johnson led the Conservative Party to its biggest parliamentary victory since 1987, winning 43.6% of the vote, the largest share of any party since 1979. The United Kingdom withdrew from the EU under the terms of a revised Brexit withdrawal agreement, entering into a transition period and trade negotiation leading the UK-EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement. Since February 2012-2020, Johnson has led the United Kingdom ongoing response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And yeah, here we are not talking again about Boris Johnson and how he acted with the pandemic because otherwise we're gonna stay uh, ages. And I don't want to keep you for hours because obviously we can talk a little bit about how he acted and when I heard that he had COVID I must admit that I wasn't too sad but yeah anyway so this is it for today because obviously we're not talking about the present we know that the UK left the European Union definitely in 2021 so now, thanks even to Boris Johnson, Theresa May, and Dave, David Cameron before, yeah, we cannot go anymore to the UK on holiday, and it's uh, it's it's not that good. But anyway, so this is it for the Joe Boris Johnson lesson, and uh, we talk obviously a little bit about Brexit. That Brexit is obviously the leave the departure of the UK from the EU. And finally, in the next episode, we are talking definitely about the consequences of the Brexit on the Erasmus project, both for international students going to the UK and for the UK students going abroad. So finally, we are arriving at the final step of this podcast. So. Anyway, I'm hoping that you're finding it interesting. Have a nice night and eat well because it's important to eat well. And see you soon for the next podcast. Bye. Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast about Brexit and Erasmus. I'm pretty sad because today is gonna be our last episode and I was getting quite attached to this podcast but yeah sooner or later this last episode had to come and uh, I'm gonna leave you with probably the most interesting podcast so far because yeah we are finally gonna talk about the consequences of Brexit on Erasmus. Probably you know, but we're gonna go a little bit more in detail in order just to know a little bit more from uh, than the others. So just let's just begin. So yeah, there has been a bitter Christmas for the Erasmus program and for the students that wanted to study in the United Kingdom as well as for the United Kingdom students, because the British government and the European Union have announced that the UK will no longer participate in the program and then the negotiations were interrupted. 
Although British Prime Minister Boris Johnson at the beginning had promised that the UK would remain a part of the Erasmus program, has subsequently declared that this would have a cause of financial disadvantage for the country, claiming that it would be greater and therefore disadvantages the number of European students who would like to study in the United Kingdom. As a result, about 15,000 British students who are moving to other European countries a year will no longer be able to study at European University with Erasmus Plus funding from 2000 2021 and even EU students will not be able to travel to the UK. The EU had offered to, Bri offered to Britain access to entire programs for seven years in exchange for a fee that would have been calculated on the basis of GDP, gross domestic product. However, the increased interest for the British was the participation in the activities of higher education, such as the exchange of good practices on the part of the managers at university, which would have allowed the UK to save taxpayers money, but there was no previous binding partial to Erasmus+. Plus. It should not be forgotten that five years after graduation, the unemployment rate of young people who have studied or trained abroad is lower than 23% than that of those who have not done any training abroad. And according to the latest annual report of the Erasmus Plus, the United Kingdom has been uh, up to now among uh, the top five countries for students, incoming and outgoing. Students and young people from Britain so will no longer take part in the, in the European-wide uh, Erasmus Exchange program. After the UK failed to reach agreement over this topic with the EU, uh, the omission of Erasmus from the uh, UK-EU deal and the scheme that had offered, offered student exchanges as well as callings, work experiences and apprenticeships across Europe since 1987. Under the, version of this, under the latest version of the scheme, Erasmus+, Plus, around 200,000 people have taken part, including around uh, 15,000, as I said, from British universities. As with uh, Horizon 2020, the United Kingdom retains its status as a participant in Erasmus Plus 2014-2020 program. In fact, for ongoing Erasmus Plus projects with UK partners, nothing changes. However, with regard to the future 2021-2027 program, the agreement concluded on the, uh, concluded on the 24th of December 2020 changes the status of the United Kingdom. Unlike Horizon Europe, the UK will not associate with the program and will become a third country. Michael Bernier, the EU's chief negotiator, said, said something extremely important about the government, said um, about um, the Brexit and the uh, not participation of the UK in the Erasmus program. The government decided not to participate in the Erasmus exchange program. So after the two sides uh, were unable to agree on the cost of Brit Britain's uh, continued members membership, Adam Tickle, the vice chancellor of the University of Sussex, said, "Leaving Erasmus is a real sadness. A scheme whose original foundations were laid at Sussex. Over the years, the Erasmus program transformed the lives of thousands of young people. So even the higher ups in the government 
are pretty sad about this departure. In January, Johnson, however, in January, Johnson assured that uh, there was no threat to the Erasmus scheme, but confirming the end of membership, he said on Thursday, on Erasmus, it was a tough decision. He claimed the UK losses out financially because of the larger amount of EU nationals coming to study in the UK. Boris Johnson said the UK would instead establish its own scheme with the best universities in the world, to be named after the British computing pioneer Alan Turing. So what are we doing is producing a UK scheme for students to go around the world, the Prime Minister said. It will be called the Turing Scheme, named after Alan Turing, so students will have the opportunity not just to go to European universities, but to go to the best universities in the world, because we want our young people to experience the immense intellectual stimulation of Europe, but also the whole world. Vivian Stern, the director of the University UK International, said, it's hugely disappointing after all this that we are no longer in the scheme, but it's not surprising. I understand that the European Commission was not willing to budget on costs. Sarah said that she was actually pleased at the prospect of a new national plan to fund outward mobility, which she hoped would meet the costs of young people travelling overseas. She said that, uh, as uh, I understand, as she understands, there will be grants for young people, not just in universities, but broader than that, to support study and possibly working and volunteering. These experiences will help graduates gain employment, especially for students from low-income backgrounds, who are the least likely to be able to travel abroad otherwise. Any Erasmus replacement will be ambitious and fully funded. It must also, they must also deliver significant opportunities for future students to go global, with the Erasmus program as provided to date. The new scheme is not expected to fund students coming to the UK as Erasmus, as Erasmus does now, which, which suggests British universities will miss out on a source of income. A report earlier this year said ending Erasmus membership would cost the UK more than 200 million a year. So obviously there are up and ups, up and downs about this decision of leaving the Erasmus Plus program. So what about uh, the... Um, I had to find uh, to stop a little the video because my dog was knocking at the door and she was so pitiful and I had to let her, to let her in. So, um, from uh, where I started, so I stopped at the point where I was talking about the uh, people that are from abroad going to the UK. So there's gonna be consequences even for us that are not British, that want to go to the UK. So to enter the UK, even for tourism, it will be no longer enough to show your identity card but you will need to have a passport. However, no visa will be required if the stay in the country will be maximum of six months. However, if we want to stay more than six months, it's necessary to have a visa. But what is a visa? A visa is the most common type of, uh, um, type of visa for tourist students work and work. Depending on where you are traveling, a visa can be valid for single or multiple visits.
Some visas are required, uh, require an application to be filled prior to entering the country, and other visas uh, are granted upon entering the country. Certain countries require an interview or medical screening prior for, to applying for a visa. So it's kind of ex- expensive as well. So we're gonna need it if we want to stay more than six months. Another consequence is that to enroll in university in England after January 1st, 2021, you will need to prove that uh, you have been accepted by an English university, have an adequate knowledge of the English language, and uh, may vary depending on university, usually between B2 and C2, be able to support yourself during your studies, obviously financially, meaning that you are able to pay and you're not going there to work illegally. And in addition, future enrolls will have to pay the fee at the same cost as other non-EU international citizens, which would be around 30,000 euros per year, against the average 10,000 paid today by British and EU citizens. So it's gonna be even a lot more expensive. So this is it for today and probably even forever because I've done with this amazing podcast so obviously there has been some harsh consequences of Brexit because we have we'll have no longer the opportunity to do it with the UK even though the UK students probably will have in a few years or even less this Turing program that will substitute the Erasmus Plus program but obviously this is reserved just to the UK students Thank you very much for listening. I hope you find this podcast nice and you learned something new from it. And I'm hoping you're going to have nice holidays. Today is the day before Easter. So I've been able to finish it before the real holidays. And I can rest a little bit for the next of the days. And I'm hoping that you're going to do it as well because it's important to rest. And to spend most of the time with our families now because it's a hard time. And it's important to feel warm with the love of our, of our families. Thank you very much. And uh, again, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And maybe see you soon again with a new topic about another, with another topic. Who knows? Bye.